The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, Doxa Church. Um, today's scripture will be, will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. You can follow on on the screen behind me, also in the books underneath your chairs on page 1016. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as a good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. It's a uh, passage that DJ just read for us. Uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Our name of the series is The uh, Upside Down Kingdom, where uh, the whole concept of this book is that Peter's writing to these uh, believers in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkish, and um, these, people, these believers, these churches are hurting. They're, they're suffering, and so he's writing to them to encourage them, and the reason that he's writing to encourage them is because they're suffering unjustly, mostly because they simply are believers. And, uh, and in this very beginning of this passage that DJ read for us, verse 7 of chapter 4, uh, is, he says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. The end of all things is at hand, Therefore, Peter's writing to these believers who are hurting, they're hurting unjustly, and what he's doing is he's telling them this is why, this is why it's like this. This is why you as believers are suffering, you're being persecuted, you're suffering unjustly simply because you are believers in Christ, simply because you've placed your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and you worship him alone and not the idols or other things that the people around you are worshiping. And he's saying this is why it's like this. It's because that the fact that you are a part of a futuristic kingdom. He says that you are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. That what you see around you, that's the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom, if you're a believer, the kingdom that you are a part of, the world that you're a part of, is a, a world that's, that's not visibly here yet. It's going to come, but it's not yet here. That's why he calls us sojourners or exiles. He says, you as believers are sojourners, you're travelers or pilgrims, you're exiles. This is not where you belong. You belong somewhere else. And that kingdom that you and I belong to, the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus is going to be fully realized whenever he returns again. It, it, began, it began whenever he first came, and now it's going to be fulfilled whenever he comes again. So let's just get a picture. That can be kind of confusing. Let's just get a, try to get a, a Randy-level picture of what that looks like. So um, I like cartoons, and I view my... Um, well, you guys didn't give me a flinch on that one. It's like, okay, that, that seems normal thing. So I really like cartoons. And I view as one of, my, one of my major jobs as a dad is to introduce my children to old cartoons. They don't 
I guess it's something that an old guy says. They don't make them like they used to. Uh, and so part of my job is to introduce my children to, to the, old, the old stuff. You know, I would say good stuff, but it's not all good. It's just, it's just the old stuff. You know, like, I'm talking about like, you know, Looney Tunes and the Flintstones. And my, uh, my daughter, uh, Sophie, and I used to have this thing. Uh, I guess we're kind of grown out of it a little bit, but where uh, Sunday afternoons, we would get, we'd go pick up lunch on the way home. We'd get out of here pretty late, and we'd get home, and we would sit down on the couch, and we would eat lunch on the, the tray tables, and we would watch the Flintstones. And there's one particular uh, special Flintstones uh, movie uh, where, uh, wow, I know a lot about this stuff, uh, where, where, the, where this is like one of the fun crossroads things where the Flintstones meet the Jetsons, right? Okay, so and the, the premise is that the, the Jetsons accidentally travel back in time to bedrock and they meet the Flintstones. And, you know, of course, hilarity ensues after that. But, but the whole con- part of the concept that happens whenever they go back in time is they don't have any of their, like, cool tech that they live, that they live with. They just have what they have on them. But what little bit of tech they have on them is enough to make them extraordinary back in the Flintstones time. The little bit of tech they have, like the little jetpacks and anti-gravity boots and like little things they happen to have on them, make them rock stars, make them extraordinary back in bedrock in the Stone Age where the Flintstones lived. Can you imagine like if you were to travel back in time with just the the, the tech that you probably have on you right now to 50 years ago, what you would look like. You would look like the Jetsons. I mean, it just, if you were to think like, if I could take just five handheld devices back with me 50 years ago, what, could, what kind of person, like you might be a very normal person today, what would you be like all of a sudden if you were back 50 years ago with the iPhone and a laptop? Like you'd be extraordinary. And that's what you and I are like as Christians. We are members of a futuristic kingdom that isn't yet here, but is only here in our hearts and among us as believers. And that makes us extraordinary in the world that we live in. We are not members of this world. We are members of the world that is to come. That's what we're supposed to be as the church. There's this uh, theological word, and just stick with me for a second here, it's called eschatology. And what that means is, is the study of last things. And, and here's what Christian theology says about, this is what Peter is saying here about eschatology or the study of last things. It says that when Jesus came the first time, that changed the playing field. And he brought his kingdom into this broken kingdom of the world. And that began what's called the last times. And that's what Peter is saying here. The end of all things is at hand. He's not saying the world is getting ready to end tomorrow, though it very well could. He's saying because we live in the period of time between the first time that Jesus came and the next time that he's coming again to make all things new and make all things that are wrong, make them right again, to restore all things. When we're in this time that we are in the period of the end of all things. And he's saying that we as believers who follow a Jesus who came and lived and suffered and died and rose again, that we as followers of that Jesus, that we are the Jetsons back in bedrock. That we are Christians are time travelers. We live in a world that isn't yet fully here 
except it is within our hearts and among us. We live within the kingdom of Jesus and the restoration of the way all, the way all things were meant to be. We live in joyful submission to King Jesus, and that means that we are, part, we are pictures of a futuristic kingdom that's to come but isn't here yet. The end of all things is at hand, therefore. So everything he's getting ready to say after that is all based upon the fact that the end of all things is at hand. And what he's saying is the end of all things is at hand and we as believers live in that time period. We showcase what is getting ready to come when Jesus returns. Wait, that, shouldn't that change the way that we live our lives? Like, look, the purpose of your life isn't just to get through the end of the day and finish work or finish school and get home and do whatever you have to do there and finally relax so you can watch some Netflix. Like, that is not the purpose of life. I'm not anti any of those things, by the way, but that's not the purpose in the end of life. The purpose and the end in life that we as believers have, we as the church have, is to showcase that the end of all things is at hand and that we as members of the kingdom that is to come, we showcase or we show off what it's gonna be like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here and now and today. And Peter says, because of that, therefore, he says there's three ways that we show off the beauty of the futuristic kingdom. He says, we as believers, we show off the beauty of the futuristic kingdom when we think like it's the end, when we love like it's the end, and when we serve like it's the end. We as believers, we show off the futuristic kingdom that we belong to when we think like it's the end, when we, show, when we love like it's the end, and we serve like it's the end. First of all, think like it's the end. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of verse seven and, and let's get some traction here. The end of all things is at hand. So hear what he's saying that, right? He's saying you are a this world system is, is going to be ending. We are part of the new one that is to come. Therefore, because of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Have you ever been the only sober person at a party? Ever been the only sober person at a party? Uh, you, you walk in and... and and, and everybody in the room sees things differently than you see them at that moment. Everybody has beer goggles on, right? Like just whatever, the, whatever they're like, whenever they are drunk, that's how you know, they're depressed or quiet or they're giggly and bubbly and they see themselves all of a sudden differently than they normally see themselves. They see the people around them differently than they normally see them. They see you differently than they normally see you. you ever, ever experienced that? You walk in the room and all of a sudden, like someone who's hardly ever talked to you is like, oh, hey, it's all good to see you. And they're wrapping their arms around you and they're talking to you and they're all lovey on you. are like, where did this come from? All of a sudden, they are seeing and feeling and thinking about things differently than you are because you're the one that's sober and they're the one who is not. They are not thinking soberly, uh, sober-minded or self-controlled. And what Peter is saying is that this world is intoxicating. This world is intoxicating and everything in it is built to ruin our perspective as believers, to, to, to forget that this world is not all that is to come and that there is a kingdom that is coming when Jesus Christ returns and that's the kingdom that we belong to. 
This is not the kingdom that we belong to, but everything around us wants to intoxicate us and make us not be able to think about the way things are and the way things are going to be under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and not under this world. The, the picture, so what, how does it, what does it mean? All right, so I hear what you're saying, Randy, but what does it mean to be intoxicated by this world? What, what, is, what does that look like? What are, you, what are you saying? Well, the picture here that he's giving us is that he's saying we become intoxicated by this world and this world system when we are tempted and we cave to that temptation to put down roots here, to put down roots here. What does it mean to put down roots somewhere? I've talked to some of you guys, uh, you know, let's just own the fact that Myrtle Beach is kind of a different place to live, right? And so I talked to some people who, uh, who are like, they, they came to Myrtle Beach in order to pass through. They're only here for a little while, but the little while keeps on going on longer and longer, and finally you're saying like, I guess I'm putting down roots here. What, what does it mean to put down roots somewhere? It means that your relationships, your job, your career, your home, where you live, how you live, like all of a sudden you're starting to buy into like there's permanence here. I'm putting down roots here. I'm, I'm now approaching my relationships, not like I'm like my neighbors and, and my relationships at work, not like I'm just passing through. All of a sudden I'm realizing like, if I'm gonna be here, these are gonna be my neighbors and these are gonna be my friends. I'm gonna have to accept that. Uh, this job that I had that I thought I was just gonna have for a short little time, all of a sudden like is keeping on. So now maybe this is my career, whether I like that idea or not. Like this is my job, I'm putting down roots here. Uh, my, my friendships, my, my economics, my, the place where I, where I live, all of a sudden I, you, you buy a house or you, you, you finally put the stuff out of, pull the stuff out of storage and you put it in your house. You say, well, I guess this is where I am now. I'm, I'm putting down roots here. And everything in this world system is calling for us to put down roots here. It's saying, find your identity in who you are here. Find your value as a person in who you are here. Find your place, sense of belonging in terms of relationships in here, right here where we are right now. And that happens so easily as believers that we become intoxicated and we're enticed to put down roots here. All of a sudden, you don't live like a member of an eternal kingdom that is to come. You start to feel like, man, I gotta, man, I gotta live, I gotta make myself at home here. I gotta set myself up a future here. I gotta make sure things are taken care of here. Like, you're all your, like, we are members, as believers, we're called to be members of this society, but we're not called to make this society our home. Jesus said, if you invest where moth and rust destroy, that's your inheritance. But if you invest where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal in heaven, then your inheritance, your 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 investment will not fade away. And it can look slightly different, right? Like it, it, it can, uh, the life of a believer who is investing in the future can look slightly different than the, than the life of a believer who's investing here, but the world in your heart is a world apart. 
I can't necessarily look at your life and tell you if you're investing in the kingdom to come or if you're putting down roots here, but you can know in your own heart and soul. Am I living at my job and am I investing in my neighborhood and am I investing in relationships like there is a kingdom to come or am I investing like this is the kingdom here? Here's one way that looks. In my relationship with my neighbors and friends, am I more concerned about what they think about me and my, uh, my, my standing with them? Do I look cool and like I have it together? Or am, more, am I more interested in warning them and telling them that this world is not all that there is, that there is a world to come? How, how I treat my money and my job? Do I treat my job and my career, my education, my money, like there's a kingdom that's to come and this is not all that there is? Or am I pouring it all in here? All that we have should be pointing to the impending kingdom that is to come. And if we, and if we think like this is the end, if we think that way, Peter says we will pray. Why? I mean, I mean, really pray. I don't mean to like say a prayer before you eat. I'm talking about you will really, you and I will really pray. You know why we'll really pray if we believe that this is the that this is the end. That I'm a member of a, as a believer of the kingdom that is to come. I will pray because I'll be asking God keep me from being intoxicated by this world and this world system. I'll say I'll be praying God help me keep the proper perspective. I'll be praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ and my family. God help me to father. Help me help me in my relationships, my romantic relationships. Help me in my interaction with people of the other of the opposite sex. Help the people in my community group and my help us live like this is not all that there is to come there is a world to come a kingdom that is to come that is everlasting would you help me to keep that perspective we'll pray for our family and for our friends and for our neighbors that they would awake and to see that this is not all that there is that there's a kingdom to come that they would be awakened to see that we will pray I'll suddenly I'll suddenly begin to care for my friends and my family and my neighbors, not just that they won't like, <laughs> that they won't like their dog won't poop in my yard, but I'll really be praying for my neighbor that God would you awaken their eyes to see that this is not all there is. They need a savior and that you provided that savior and they can have eternity with you. God, would you open their eyes to see that? We showcase the futuristic kingdom that is to come whenever we think like it's the end. And it, he, then he says, when we love like it's the end. Above all, verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. He says, first of all, he says, above all. Above all, keep loving one another. Like, what, how do we showcase that this is the end, that we're members of a kingdom that is to come? How do we show, show that? He says, it's actually not all that complicated. He says, it, it starts, and this is the beautiful thing, it starts in the little things. Isn't that interesting about this passage? That Peter says, live like it's the end of all things, and how do you do that? He, he says, like, you love each other, 
You show hospitality to one another. He doesn't say you go out and start a big giant campaign and do something. You rent a billboard. He says you do the small things. Martin Luther said, somebody asked him, like, what would you do if you knew today was your last day? And he said, I would plant a tree and I would pay my taxes. That's just kind of a weird thing. But that what he's saying is that we showcase the end of all things, that we belong to another kingdom by doing the little things that God has called us to do, that he's put in front of us. You know what I would do if today was the last day? I would preach this sermon and I would go home and I would hug my children and I would change my baby's diaper and I would hold the baby so Megan could take a nap. Like I would do those things if today was the last day. I would talk to my neighbor and try to, as I'm talking to my neighbor, pray in my heart and soul, God, would you awaken them to see the beauty that is found in your face. But I'm not gonna slap them upside the head. I'm gonna love them. Peter says, above all, the greatest way, the greatest way that we show the futuristic kingdom is through love. Why? Because that's the nature and character of God. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible tells us, but also because we, his love is shown most clearly through Jesus Christ. He sent his son. He lived a perfect life for us. He died a sacrificial death on our behalf. God loved you and I so much that he hurt for it. He loved you and I so much that he gave his life for us. And he rose again that we might have newness of life. Jesus shows us love. He shows us the greatest love. In fact, Jesus redefines love and he calls us as believers, as his children, as his followers, to follow him in that love. You know what kind of love God has shown you and I, has called you and I to do as believers? It means dying a thousand little deaths every day in the way that we love our family and our friends and our neighbors in ways that oftentimes is sacrificial and hurts us. And sometimes we even feel like we're dying in doing it. And we do it because of the great love that Jesus lavished upon us. What does that love look like? Look at this. He shows us the extent of the love. Above all, keep loving one another, what? Earnestly. Love earnestly. This, this word picture here, I love it. It can be translated as love each other deeply or love each other constantly. And the, the picture there in, in, the, in the language is a picture of, of stretching, it's a picture of, of stretching or extending. It, here's what he's saying. Christian love loves earnestly or constantly. And what he says is that Christian love stretches or extends to whatever it needs to stretch or extend to. It means that it stretches to love people when it's inconvenient. You know when it's inconvenient to love people? when by nature we don't want to love them back. Love, it's great to, to, to love, like to be in a room of people that love you and you love them and you can feel the warmth in the room. That's a beautiful thing. But you know when Christian love is really, Christian love is really shown? 
It's both inside the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ with our friends and neighbors and coworkers when we love them when it's inconvenient and it hurts us in return, actually. Christian love is an extending love because that's the kind of love that Jesus loves us with, right? It keeps stretching no matter what we do. Last night was a difficult night in the golf home with one of our children. Uh, It was a, a marathon of disobedience and correction and disobedience and correction, and you're like, will this just please end? And yet, throughout all of it, you know what my love for that my child did? It stretched and extended to cover each and every disobedience, each and everything that he did. It was never outside of my love. In fact, when we went to bed and we laid down, my child said, you know, I feel like sometimes whenever you, I do certain things, like I know that you don't love me. And I said, no, never, never. My love extends to that. It covers it. It pulls you in when it hurts and when it's inconvenient. You know how that looks? It looks like love and caring for people inside the body and outside when they have practical needs that are inconvenient for us. It, it, It means caring for people inside the body and outside when they're annoying to me. Jesus never said that we would actually always enjoy the people that are in the body of Christ with us, but he said to love them. Let's just be honest, in this room and in this church, there are people that don't particularly enjoy each other, and that's part of the deal. And the way that we love each other is by extending love to even the people that annoy us and hurt us and use us, and abuse us, and we don't understand. It's love that stretches and extends to them. It's love that stretches and extends in forgiveness when we are wronged. You know why that is so difficult? Because whenever you forgive someone, you absorb the wrong that they have done for you. You're not exacting it out on them in retribution. You are absorbing the wrong done to you. And you know how we can do that as believers? Because Christ absorbed the wrong done to us, done by us to him. 1 Corinthians 13, four through six, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not, you know what that means? That means it doesn't insist that we sing the songs that you want to sing every week or that community group looks like you want it to look or the people that you are around look like you want them to look. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This flows from Jesus because his reach stretches our love. He first loved us, and so therefore we love him, and therefore we love the people around us with an extending, stretching love, especially when it's inconvenient. It's not Christian love until it stretches and it's inconvenient. He says that's the extent of the love, but look at the type of love. This is closely connected. 
Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. What, what, is, he, what is he saying there? He, what, he's, what he's not saying is that when we love people, uh, our sins are forgiven because we loved other people. What he's saying is like when it says in Proverbs 10, 12, that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Or in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, right after that passage we just read, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, I, I say you have to forgive him seven times seven. I remember hearing that in Sunday school as a kid and thinking, all right, that's, a, that's that many times. But what he's saying is you keep on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. What is he saying? He's saying Christian love is covering love instead of trying to be a tattletale and point to somebody else's. See what this person is doing over here, either to God or to a leader or to somebody else. Do you see what that person over there did? Do you see what they did to me? Do you see what they did to each other? Do you see that? It means that instead I cover. It doesn't mean that I pretend that it's not sin or it's not wrong, but it does mean that I don't view myself as the arbiter and judge who gets to decide how that person is punished or disciplined. I'm not the person who gets to decide how God is going to deal with that person because I say God deals with that person. My job is to forgive that person and to seek to cover that person. It's extending, covering love. And then he says, our love, above all, show hospitality. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And this is very, very practical, right? How do we show the futuristic kingdom here today? We show hospitality to one another. And then he says, without grumbling. Show hospitality. What, what is that's a big deal in the New Testament that we don't make a big deal of, I think, oftentimes today. That Christian love is love that shows hospitality. And you know what that means? It doesn't just mean like Megan and I having the Millers over because we like the Millers and Millers like us and our kids can play with each other and keep each other like, you know, entertained while we can have some adult conversation, which is great. That's fine. We'd love to do that. That's not really hospitality. Hospitality is opening up your home and your life and your heart to people who you would not normally and would have no business inside your home, inside your heart, and inside your life. I mean, showing them the hospitality that Christ shows us by inviting us into his heart and into his family and showing him, us, his love. And doing so without grumbling. It means opening up our homes, like he says, just, without grumbling to people inside the body and even people outside. We're told that some people have entertained angels unaware because they showed hospitality to a stranger. Now, we have to use wisdom, but yet I think we couch, as, as modern American Christians, I think we couch a lot of selfishness in the guise of wisdom. Do you and do I, do we show radical hospitality with one another? 
opening up her homes to each other to sh- in order to show the love of God that he has shown to me lavishly to people who would not normally see it and feel it. You know what happens then? What happens is believers who have never felt what it's like to be a part of a family, believers who never felt loved and cared for, new believers who are still trying to figure out what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, and people who are in our midst who are not believers, who are trying to figure out this whole thing, all of a sudden they see a radical, clear, everyday picture of what it looks like for Jesus to love us. I heard a story about a church who, that's, this, that past week when I was in outside Chicago, of this church that began as a church of 300, and now today they're a church of 8,000. And the, the way that the, the story that the, the pastor gave as how this whole process happened is that when they were a church of 300, that uh, they had one college student. And that college student came to him and said, would you start a class, a college class? And he said, do you have any friends that you can put together? And, and that student said, well, I got two of them. They pulled two students together. And they didn't have room in their church building for a college class, it was a small church. And so between services during the Sunday school hour, the pastor would drive those three students 10 minutes to his home and they'd have coffee and donuts and work through some scripture and then he would drive them back and they would have the next service. And he actually in this process was getting frustrated because he's like, man, between the, the 10 minutes there and back and the coffee and donuts, like we were only working through like a few words in Philippians each time. He said, but what started to happen was this, that, started, that three started to grow, and within a couple of years, they had 45 college students that were part of this class. And then it grew past that to where college students made up a majority of the church. And you know how, what happened? He found out that the students, they loved that he was taking them through Philippians, but what they really cared about is that a pastor was showing them hospitality at his home. They had coffee and donuts, and he was caring about their life, and they were having conversations. And all of a sudden, people who were believers, but also people who were not believers, started to be a part of this class and come to the church, became believers and had their lives transformed one after another after another. You know why? Because he showed hospitality to them. He says, we showcase the kingdom that is to come whenever we think like it's the end, when we love like it's the end, and then when we serve like it's the end. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him being on glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, serve like it's the end. How so? He says, first of all, he says, each, verse 10, each person has received a gift. I love this picture. You know what the picture is? The picture is that we are the body of Christ. 
And Jesus, we say around here that Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the one who leads the church. He is the Lord of the church. The Bible tells us he is the head of the church and we are his body. And you know what he says here? He says that Jesus Christ himself ministers and cares for the body of Christ through you and me. Through you and me. That he has given you, each and every single person in this room, he has given you, if you're a believer, he has given you at least one gift for you in order for you to serve and to care for the body of Christ. And you know what it says that he's doing at the end of that ver- these verses? It says that he is serving the people around us through us. That is by his strength and by his power, it's his word, his strength, his power that he ministers, that he uses through us to minister to each other. As each one has received a gift. What is a gift? It is, it is, the, it is a piece, if you'll, if you'll use, pardon that, my use of that language, it's a piece of God's grace that he uses to minister to the people around us. And God has given you a gift, at least one gift, in order to serve and care for the people around you. How do you know what your gift is? Well, it's, it's not an exact science. It's not really a test that you go take somewhere. It's a, com- it's a combination of what you're passionate about and what you have a gifting or ability in and what you have an opportunity for and what people around you, like, affirm, but beyond all that, it's just really like, hey, when you're, when you're a part of the church, whenever you're in a community group or at a gathering like this, what is it that you feel like, man, I would really like to do that? It, it might be teaching, it might be worshiping, it might be singing, it might be something simple like, I love to make sure that the chairs are set up in straight lines so people can come in and, and see order. And it, it might be like, hey, I really love when for people to feel loved. Like when we gather in community groups, I love to, to cook and prepare for that. Or, or it, might be, it might be any number, it might, it might be, you know what, I just really love to come and, and hold a baby and, and, and pray for that baby while the parents are in the service and pray that God would, 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 would care for and pour out his grace upon this child and, and that as I'm watching this child, that God would do the same thing with her, with her parents in the service. It might be, like, you know what, you know when I really feel alive is whenever I get out into the community and I'm caring for people who are less fortunate than me. I love to do that. You know, I feel alive when, like whatever it is, like you, when you say, I really feel alive when I do this. I wanna do this thing. That's a gift that God has given you. And you know what? It may look like a spiritual gift. I'm doing air quotes. It might, be, it might look like a spiritual gift, like, oh man, that's very spiritual. Or it may look like a very practical gift. But whatever it is that God has given you, it, it, he's given it to you not for yourself, he's given it to you to serve his body, to serve him and to serve his people through you. Isn't that amazing? Think of the privilege that you and I have to be a part of the body of Christ. Not just to come and hear some guy talk and sing some songs and leave afterwards, but to be a part of a community where I come in and they need, they need my particular gift that God has given me so that I can show the grace of God through me by his power to the people around me. 
And whenever I come, I'm praying, God, as I gather here in this Sunday morning, or I gather in a community group, or I'm talking to somebody, I'm praying, like, God, would you help me to speak as if I'm speaking your word to the people around me? God, would you help me to serve as if, as if I'm doing so under your power and under your strength? Whenever I come to do setup in the morning, I'm not just coming to do it because it's my job every two or three weeks, but God, it's, I, I'm coming here saying, God, I'm setting up these chairs and I'm putting up these drapes by your power. I'm watching these kids, not just to check a box off, but I'm serving them to do so. I'm serving these that you love, these children that you love. I'm asking you, God, would you help me to serve them by your power and by your strength? Can you imagine what it looks like when all the different parts of God's body are serving as given by his strength and by his grace and by his power each other? Can you imagine what that looks like to people who come in from the outside? They say, man, what is it like to be a part of this dynamic kingdom where there's some otherness in their midst? They're not just grumbling by doing these things. They're doing so under a strength and a power that I cannot explain. And when someone comes in as who is a believer, we say you can find your place here by serving because he says, each one has been given a gift, but he says, use it to serve one another. Your gift that he has given you is to be used. And I'm gonna say this strongly this morning. If you, whatever it is, your gift or gifts that God has given you, if you are not using them, you are disobeying the Lord and you are missing out on a great part of what the Christian life is called to be. Church is not a meeting that we go to. It is a body, a community, a family to which we belong. And each of us has a place in that family, in that body, that it is necessary, is necessary for your flourishing and for the flourishing of the body of Christ here in our midst. God has called us to activity and he has gifted you for a unique role in his mission on earth through the church. He has gifted you for your unique mission, your unique part of the mission here in his church. He says, you, each of us has been given a gift, use it, and he says, use it to serve one another. What's the end? Why, why do we have these gifts? Is it so I can like, feel like self-actualized and self-fulfilled as a person? Is it so I can feel better about myself? Man, everybody says I'm good at talking, so man, I feel so good about myself. No, he says, use it to serve one another. Uh, years ago, whenever I would teach, I would, uh, I would either feel like on a, on a high for a day or two because I felt like I did a good job. It could not be, it could be because somebody said something or it could just be, hey, I felt like I did a good job. Maybe nobody else thought so. But I felt like I did, so I was on a high for a day or two. Or if I felt like I did a terrible job, I would be depressed for about a week. Then I was, then God did a, deep work in my heart where I was really convicted about why I did what I did. And I was a long time that I didn't teach at all. And on the other side of that, I remember, I remember the morning, I remember preparing for that morning, I remember showing up and teaching, and it was totally different. You know why? Because I was showing up not saying, God, help me show off this gift that you've given me. So people will say, isn't he awesome? Oh, thanks for the amazing insights. Or man, you are funny. Instead to say, I, I said, God, would you help me to serve you and your body in whatever I'm getting up to do? And whether people think it's good or I think it's good or not, 
that I don't really care about that. I just want to serve you and know that you smile upon this and I want to serve your people. What if we all were a part of the body of Christ like that? To serve one another, not for my use, not for my ego, not for my self-fulfillment, but to be used to serve God and his family. That's what the picture here, the wording here, he says, use it to serve one another. That word serve, is the, is, is, it means to serve, it also means to minister to one another. The picture there is like a, like a nurse or a doctor ministers and cares for someone. We should be caring for each other, using the gifts that God has given as stewards of God's varied grace. A steward is a servant who's been given administrative authority over a household. Here's the picture. We'll be done. You and I have been given gifts by God, and he's called us to steward them in order to serve the body. And by doing so, he shows off, I love this picture, the varied grace. That, that, that word varied is sort of like the, a picture of like something that's multicolored. So here's the picture. Have you ever seen one of those like, those uh, like pictures and whenever you get closer, it's actually a picture made up of smaller pictures? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like it's a giant picture, but whenever you get close, it's a picture made up of tiny pictures. He says that's what the body of Christ is. You and I are each one of those tiny pictures, and we each show a small part of God's grace in the way that he's made us, our personality, our giftings, our makeups, the spiritual gifts that he's given us. And when you put all that together, we showcase the varied, our multicolored, our multifaceted grace of God to the kingdom of this world, and we're saying there's a kingdom to come. And he says, by doing so, look at the end, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We showcase this kingdom as a kingdom where God is glorified through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who loves the people around me, through me, whenever it's inconvenient. It's Jesus who ministers to the people around me whenever I speak or serve the people around me in his name. When I think like it's the end, when I serve like it's the end, when I love like it's the end, we showcase a kingdom that is to come in the middle of this kingdom that's of this world. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.